glad you're here. And I just have two two words to say here, which is Aram Avinu. Aram Avinu. Abraham, our forefather. And I'm so excited. I I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Who's better than Abraham? Maybe you'll say Moshe. And you can make a great case for it. I'm actually going to talk about the relationship between Abraham and Moshe on a, on a mathematical level today, of all things. But anyway, it will tie together a bunch of stuff. But, but anyway, I, I love you, Abraham. I love you with all my heart. You know, uh, Neshama, Rev Shlomo's uh, daughter, was in Los Angeles uh, about, I don't know, maybe about ten years ago. And she was uh, talking to the Happy Minion. And she said, uh, regarding uh, Rev Shlomo Karlovach, she said, uh, people compare him to a lot of different people. And, you know, one comparison that you hear a lot is the Baal Shem Tov. And I think there are a lot of comparisons between Rev Shlomo and the Baal Shem Tov. Um, and she said, but to me, the best comparison, the closest comparison is between Rev Shlomo and Abraham Avinu and Abraham. And that's deep, because I don't think that that would be the, the first connection you would make between those two people. And yet, and yet there's a lot to that, which is that there... There's so much alienation. There's so much alienation that people experience in terms of understanding who God is and what God is and where God is. And Abraham was one person who came into a world that, that had so, so confused what the notion of God was. And he went around just explaining God to people. Just correcting their misimpressions. And, um, and anyway... And he gave us a tremendous gift. He implanted, as the father of the Jewish people, he implanted in, in every Jew an innate notion of God's oneness. And I heard this from Rabbi Wilson, and this is a very, a very, very powerful teaching. You have to really contemplate this. And I'll, I'll just give it over what, what Rabbi Wilson said. He said, you know, there are certain creatures in, in, in the world that are born with certain knowledge. And the two examples that he gave that I remember are a spider and a beaver. Okay? And, and a child, but you, you'll see where we're going with this. A spider is born, and a spider is born with the knowledge of how to weave incredibly complex webs. And if you think about that for a moment, how is that possible? If you've, if you've seen spider webs, they're... They're masterpieces of geometry and, and, and symmetry. They're, and they're incredibly intricate. Now, how do you... How, how do they know... How does a spider know how to do that from the time that it's born? How? how? It's a mystery. But it is born with that knowledge. Beavers are born with the knowledge of how to build dams. And apparently... I, I don't know, you'll, you'll have to ask a, an engineer firsthand, but apparently engineers marvel at how good these dams are that beavers build. And they're born with that knowledge. Jews also have this received knowledge. We're born with the knowledge of the oneness of God. 
That's, that's something that's just a gift, and it's a gift from Abraham. Because Abraham went through so many tests, and he integrated this knowledge so thoroughly into his bones, so much so that it was given over to his children on this very incredible level. You know, one of the things that, that Rav Shlomo points out, and let me just say that right now before I forget, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Katz did an awesome, awesome thing. He, he edited and put together a new book of Rav Shlomo's teachings. It's called um, Evan Shlomo, the Torah Commentary of Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. And uh, I highly, highly recommend it. It's phenomenally deep. Um, some of the passages are not easy. You have to read them over several times over in order to grasp what's being said. But you'll see in a line or two there something that you can learn for decades in a kolel, in a, in a serious high-level Torah academy, and you'll never learn this. You'll never get to this level of knowledge that's contained in two lines in this book. And it's all over the book. So I really, really recommend it. Um, and it's just on the first several parshas of Gracious. This is just volume one, part one. So, anyway. But one of the things that Rav Shlomo points out, and, and that other rabbis have pointed out as well, is that when Hashem says to Abraham, Lech Lecha, which means go forward, and he tells him to go, go forward to the, to the land of Israel, to the land of Canaan. It's so deep. It's so deep what's going on. First of all, just everyone points this out, but we just have to understand it. There's almost a, there's a play on words that's going on with the, the, these words, Lech Lecha. And by the way, just in case anyone's thinking that they're old, whatever age you are, if you've, if you've had the thought, you know what, I'm officially old, you should know that God said Lech Lecha to Abraham when he was 75 years old. And that's really the beginning of Abraham's life, at 75. Also, just as a P.S., you should know that the whole burning bush experience with Moshe happened when Moshe was 80 years old. So just in case you think that you're old, God comes to Moshe when he's 80 years old and tells him to begin his life's work. So that's, a, that's just a, a humbling thought, you know? Um, anyway, let's keep on going forward. So welcome, welcome. Nice to see you. Um, oh, no, no, no. So, Lech Lecha, this, this call to move forward that God gives to, to Abraham. You know, the Kutzka Rebbe says something really intense. He says that you think that Hashem, that God just said it to Abraham? God said it to everyone, but Abraham was the only one who listened. And he says the same thing by Moshe. He says, do you think that Moshe is the only one who saw the burning bush? He said, a lot of people saw it. Moshe was the only one who stopped and looked. And it gives me the chills to think about it. It says that the call, the voice from Mount Sinai, is still going out. It's never stopped. But why can't we hear it? So I heard Rav Shlomo say in the name of Rebbe Nachman, that anger makes the loudest sound in the entire world. That there's so much anger in the world that it's drowning out all that sound. So Lech Lecha is kind of a play on words. That's, that's not doing justice to it. That's not saying it respectfully enough. 
Lech Lecha has many infinite levels to it. Lech Lecha means you go forward. Lecha is reflexive, though, in Hebrew grammar. So it doesn't just mean you go forward, meaning you go and go to the land of Israel. It also means, because it's reflective, it means, reflexive, it means go into yourself. In other words, the journey is not just a physical journey with your legs to walk, but it's a metaphysical journey to journey within your own interior depths in order to understand the truth. And the two work hand in hand. The two work hand in hand. You know, I'll tell you something. It's just, when you see the interior and the exterior align, it's a, it's a beautiful experience. I remember there was one time in my own kind of spiritual kind of journey that I kind of reached a, another level for me anyway, and I saw things more clearly. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, maybe in high school with a microscope, where you're trying to focus in on a cell structure, on a slide, and you go, oh, I finally got it, it's in focus. And then you try one more, and you go, now it's in focus. Like you thought it was in focus, but you didn't even realize how much more in focus it could actually be. You know, so when the inside and the outside match up, and then all of a sudden you gain a level of clarity that wasn't there before, it's a, it's a stunning experience. I tell you, I was going to tell you this later if I remembered, but uh, let me just tell you right now. Yesterday I was walking, and God willing, I'll be able to share this teacher with you, teaching with you later. I was thinking about the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai. All right, because I told you I'm going to talk about Abraham and Moshe. So, so anyway, I was thinking about God giving the Torah at Mount Sinai. Now, right now it's November. It's early November. The holiday that we celebrate, that we mark, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, is in May. Shavuos. Right? That's the name of the holiday. So anyway, here it is November. This was yesterday. I'm walking down the street to Shul. It's basically a side street. The street is basically empty. It is empty. Right? And I'm just thinking about the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And uh, all of a sudden, two people from the other side of the street call over to me. And honestly, between you and me, I didn't know who they were, but they knew who I was, right? And they said, hey, hey, hi. And I said, hi, how are you? And they said, listen, we're putting together the program for speakers for Shavuos. Will you come and speak at our place on Shavuos? And that's, that's November for, a, for a, a, a date in May. Now, I'll tell you something else, just in case you think that is not crazy enough. Two years ago, I was sitting in uh, Colwell, and, you know, one of the ways to go through the, the Chumash, the five books, the Torah, is that there's seven aliyahs. So every portion of the week, every portion of the week is divided up into seven portions. And there's seven days in the week. So the way a lot of people do it is after they finish davening or at some point during the day, they'll read the portion for the day because there's a correlation. So I was reading the portion for that day and it was like June, okay? I think it was June. And, uh, you know, summertime. And the portion of that day was learning about Rosh Hashanah. And so I said, 
I think I, I, I said, you know, today is a little bit like Rosh Hashanah. Even though it's June. I mean, we're months away from Rosh Hashanah. I said, because whatever's going on in the Torah is going on in the world. So if we're, if it's, if we're reading today about Rosh Hashanah, it must be a little bit Rosh Hashanah in the world right now. Okay? I don't know how impressed everybody was with that thought, but it seemed pretty obvious to me. After that, and I'm talking about seconds later, I walk into the parking lot and someone says, Hey, will you speak in our shul on Rosh Hashanah? Now this was in June. That was months away. And he wasn't even in the room when I said that. He was in the parking lot. So anyway, when the inside and the outside match up, it's a beautiful thing. It's, a, it's an affirmation of everything that's going on. Now, so Lech Lecha is that physical journey, but it's correlating with the metaphysical interior journey. To go within, to find the truth within. And then the exciting things is when you see it match up. Now, now I mentioned last week, <clears throat> we were talking about Gematria. I was telling you that one of the divine languages of creation is mathematics. And mathematicians who aren't even religious, basically, will tell you the same thing. That there's a, there's a perfection and a, a, a beauty to mathematics, and I would throw in physics as well, probably all the sciences, really, where you just see such, such aesthetics and symmetry that it's just, you see God's hand, basically. So, one of, the, one of the ways that God communicates the infinity of the Torah to us is on the mathematical level as well. And this we call gematria in Hebrew. So, I want to look at some gematria that came down this Shabbos that was just, for me, like just another affirmation, another affirmation of all the levels that God is communicating to us on. So you have to just, uh, if you want to grab a pencil and <laughs> just keep track of these things, we're going to do like three words basically, and the numerical equivalent of these three words. So try to hold them in your mind. It's not, I promise you, it's not going to be complicated at all, but just, when you really see what's going on, you're like, wow, that's really, that's really something, you know? So, so one thing that you should understand is, is that the gematria of the word blessing, of blessed, is 222. Okay, that's Barach. Okay, that's Beis Reish Chav. That means blessed, like Baruch. Baruch means blessed, right? So Baruch, the root of that word, because we go by roots, is, is the Gematria, the numerical equivalent of 222. That means blessed. Okay? Now the Maharal, the Maharal explains why is the gematria for the word blessed 222? And the answer is because the nature of blessing is to increase. Not just to increase, but to double. Okay, so since 222 is the doubling, is, is, is the first presentation of doubling, that's why the gematria of the word blessed is, is 222. Okay? Because it's double. Okay. Very good. So we have... We've got that in place. Now listen to this. God says to Abraham in the very first passage of Lethlechah, He says, Do these things. 
Go to Israel. Uproot yourself. And God willing, we're going to do Rip Shlomo uh, on, um, on the Ishvitzer the Ishvitz Rebbe's explanation of the opening Pasuk, which is just far out. It's phenomenal. And, um, but anyway, God says, do this thing and you will be blessed. Okay? And of course, Abraham does. You know, Rav Shlomo points out in another place that Abraham runs to do it. And that that's like, you know, if you do something faster as opposed to slower, the energy level that you tap into is a whole other thing. You, you reveal and you, uh, you unleash a whole other order of blessing into the world when you do something quickly. I've seen it in my own life, you know. Imagine, you know something? How many times have you run into a person in the street? Do you know what it means, you know, in a store or something like that? You know, when, and then you're like shocked. I can't believe you're here when I'm here. Or isn't that funny? We just ran into each other. Do you know that the difference between meeting someone and not meeting someone, like in those type of situations, is the matter of seconds? It's on the level of seconds. Because if you hadn't left when you left, or if that person hadn't left when they left, then if they left a minute later, or if you left a minute later, it never would have happened. So when you do something more quickly, you open up gates for whole new levels and intersections of people. So that's just one little inkling in a, in a, in a tangible, comprehensible way of, 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 of the difference between doing something more quickly or more slowly. Anyway, so God, God says to Abraham Avinu, you will be a blessing. Not just you are going to be blessed. You will be a blessing. You will be, you yourself are going to be a blessing. Alright, now what did we say that the nature of blessing is? To double, right? The gematria of Abraham's name is 248. Now, it just hit me on Shabbos. Look at that number. Two doubled is four. Four doubled is eight. God says, you will be a blessing. Here we have in his DNA the whole nature of blessing. And that's only because God adds a hey to his name, which is the gift that, that he receives after he, he does all these things. He becomes a blessing. He becomes a blessing through his own actions. And you see it actually in his name itself. 248. Two doubled is four, four doubled is eight. And of course, eight means ad infinitum, to infinity. In other words, the, 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 the factoring of blessing never stops. Never stops. Now listen to this. Someone, I, I gave this over in, at the happy meeting yesterday, and uh, one of the Hebra, Jonathan, it's an amazing guy, wonderful guy, came up to me afterwards and he said to me very quietly, he added to it. Right? He says, look, it goes further than that. He says, God says, you will be a blessing. God says, you will be a blessing. So, Hashem, 
Yudke Vavke, that's the gematria of 26. Right? God says, Abraham, you will be a blessing. So, 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 blessing is 222, right? Plus, God says you're going to be a blessing. So, 222 plus 26 is 248, which equals Abraham. I mean, it's just, it's so clear. It's just, you can't, you can't refute that. I mean, there it is. So, in other words, just to put this in context again, God is just communicating to us on so many different levels. It's part of the infinity of the Torah that that works. All right. So, so let me just tell you one more thing, and then I want to get more into what it meant for Abraham to do what Abraham did. It's just a little bit more math, but I just, you know, I can't not. So, so you have to understand something. When God gave us the Torah of Mount Sinai, see, Judaism differs from all the other religions of the world. No other religion has, has the, the chutzpah to say that God revealed himself in front of two and a half million people. Every other religion has their prophet, and their prophet says to their followers, I got the word, trust me. Okay, so what, what Judaism says, which is wild, is that God at Mount Sinai, and by the way, you should know that Christianity and Islam, both in their text, agree that this happened, that this event happened. It's not just the Jewish people who say this happened. So, that God revealed himself before two hundred, two, two and a half million people. Okay? So what happened? God spoke, and everyone's souls flew out of their bodies and they had to be resurrected and then God spoke again and their souls flew out of their bodies again and they had to be resurrected again and then after that the Jews said to Moshe you know what you get the rest of the Torah this is a little bit this is a little bit taxing for us you know like I always think of like you know today you have to show two pieces of ID you know so God showed us two pieces of ID, and we were like, okay, you know, that's good enough for us. We should get the rest and just tell it to us, because we can't be dying and being resurrected every five minutes. It's like, it's too much, okay? It's too much. So, but what's the point? The point is, is that God said the first two commandments, and then Moshe takes over starting on the third commandment. That's the point. The gematria of the word Moshe is 345. So the Gare points out, look at it. God said commandments 1 and 2, and Moshe is 345. To the end. So it's a direct continuity of the nature of the revelation of Moshe. So Abraham, of course, and Moshe are partners. Abraham wakes up the world to the oneness of God, and Moshe tells us how to serve God. So Moshe is the entire structure of the universe. He reveals the mitzvahs, which are the building blocks of reality. That's Moshe. So that's a linear structure, I'd like to suggest. That's one, two, three, four, five, on and on and on and on. It's a sequential thing, because that's the essence of the structure itself. Abraham is living within the structure. 
That's the notion of blessing. That's 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, doubling, doubling, doubling. That's the notion of being blessed, of bringing down the light within the structure itself. Now listen to this. This is, by the way, what I was thinking when I was walking down the street, when the people said, hey, you know, speak at our show and shows. Our rabbis teach that when Moshe went up to heaven to get the Torah, he goes up to Mount Sinai and the heavens come down, whatever happened exactly, and it says the angels absolutely, they wanted to kill him. They didn't want, to, they didn't want him to have the Torah at all. Human beings should have the Torah? That's ridiculous. It's this heavenly thing, like it's not for people. And so what does God do? God gives Moshe the face of Abraham. Right here you have the fusion between the two figures. God gives Moshe the face of Abraham and he says to the angels, this is Abraham who gave you hospitality. This is how you treat someone who gave you hospitality? And the angels are like, they back off, they're ashamed. Anyway, there's more to that incident, by the way. Well, let's just go into it a little bit more, as long as we're here. Um, God says to Moshe, hold on to my throne of glory and convince them. Give them arguments. Why? If you want to see this, this is on, uh, in Gomorrah Shabbos on Daf Peches. Page 88. That's where, that's where all the Midrashim on uh, the giving of the Torah are. So that's a, that's a good page to remember. Shabbos 88. Okay. So, um, anyway. So Moshe gives the following arguments. He says, he says do, you, do, you, uh, do you steal? That you need a commandment, don't steal? Do you have parents that you need a commandment don't, to, to, to honor your parents? Do you have lusts that you need a commandment? Don't commit adultery? You know, do you get tired that you need a, a, a mitzvah to rest on Shabbos? Right? So the angels say, well, yeah, uh, I guess you're right. And then he gets to the Torah. So that, that always bothered me. Because I thought to myself, here you have Moshe, who's like the greatest of the great, talking to angels and arguing with them, I would expect that the level of the argumentation would be a little bit more inventive. You know what I mean? Like, like they, they, they should be genius-level arguments. And it's like, it seems to me like I could have made those arguments. You know, do you, do you get tired that you need to rest? Like, I could have thought of that. You could have thought of that. Like, where, where do you see, like, Moshe squaring off, like, in the debate of the, 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 debate of the millennium, right? Where, where, where do you see it? And then I thought about it some more, and I realized, no, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. You know what's going on? You see, remember, I, I've, uh, I've only shared this story with you 80 times, but time for the 81st. So, I, I, I uh, was learning with uh, Rabbi Aaron, at Israelite, and... Uh, it was the first day, and it was, I had been doing some learning already, but he was doing uh, an introduction to, to the Torah, basically. And, uh, you know, we were in a kind of a classroom, you know, a classroom in the old city, it's like different from, you know, here, because the classroom is only like 900 years old, you know, it's like curved stone, incredible walls, and all the rest. 
Anyway, so he's got a blackboard, and he says, okay, what's the Torah? So someone raises their hand, and he writes on the blackboard a book of laws, and then he says, great. Anyone else? Someone else raises their hand and says, a uh, book of history. So he says, great. He writes down a book of history. I raise my hand. He says, go ahead. I said, it's the infinite compressed into the finite. And he said, okay, let's hold off on that for a moment. You know, so it's sort of like, it's like a little bit much for like the first five minutes of the first class, you know. But anyway, the point is, is that when you look at the Torah, the Torah is not a book. We have it in book form, but the Torah is not a book. And you have to understand that each letter goes all the way up to the highest heavens. Each letter is like steadily condensed, it's condensed light till it reveals itself in the form that it is on the page. But each letter goes all the way up to the highest places in heaven. Okay? So when the angels, that's, now with that in mind we can understand the debate between Moshe and the angels. When Moshe says to the angels, you know, do you have parents that you need to honor them, that you need a mitzvah to, to honor your parents? So what's going on there? So basically, you see, the angels are studying the Torah on the level of its infinite light. They don't have, because they don't have physical bodies, they don't have access, just like we don't have access to a certain extent to the highest spiritual realms, they, as spiritual beings, don't have access to the most physical material realms. So that they're understanding the Torah on an infinitely deep level. But for them, to understand it on a physical level is a wild chiddush. It's like, what? You know, bodies, and that's how you get... We're learning this mitzvah. Do you know how we're learning the mitzvah of honoring your parents? Do you know what that is for us? I mean, you, you're talking about like bringing a cup of water to, to the guy who fathered you? Like that is the most far out teaching in the world in the mind of an angel. Because materiality is something that's very remote to them. So when Moshe put it all in physical terms, which is so abundantly obvious to us, on an angelic level, it absolutely blew them away. But the key to understanding the nature of that debate is to understand how infinite the Torah is itself. And how in book form we've got just a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of the puzzle. How it relates to us in this dimension. That's all. Okay. So, so now... I want to I want to share with you well boy okay hopefully we'll get to that a little bit later but well, I really want to do that alright you better do it now otherwise we're not going to do it go ahead quick question yeah did, did Moses do the compressing at Sinai or did God do the compressing okay the way the way I heard it from Rabbi Cordoza was that God was teaching Moshe the Torah and Mount Sinai. And that Moshe couldn't get it. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't grasp it. And you see that dynamic played out on a macro level as well. Because, you see, the Torah itself is bigger than the world. So the question is, if the Torah is bigger than the world, how did God fit the Torah into the world? Okay? And the answer from the Opter Rebbe 
is that, you know, when the Torah was given, it was given at dawn on Shabbos. Okay, the Torah was given on Shabbos. So Shabbos is a day without borders. And so this is just metaphysically, just the dynamics of how the Torah even got into the world to begin with. That's, that's kind of a side thought. But, but, but the reason why I bring it up is that this whole idea of Moshe not understanding it and being needed to be taught it over and over again, like how could it fit into his head, basically, that which is beyond, right? How did it come down into this compressed form, as you're saying, right? So basically what happened was it goes through garments of concealment, and so each letter, basically, had to come down till he saw that letter. And when he saw that letter, that means he grasped that thought. So, 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 so that, so, so Moshe didn't compress it. It was compressed for Moshe. Because the nature of Torah is that if you don't understand it, you haven't, you have to understand it to receive it on some level. And, and sometimes, and sometimes you don't have to understand it to receive it, is the bottom line. Because basically, we have to address both of our faculties. We have the, this faculty within us, which is very rational and finite. But God puts a piece of himself into us also, which means that God implants an aspect of infinity into us as well. Which means that there's stuff that's above the rational or super-rational. And that's stuff that, in order for us to fill in that missing place within ourselves, we can't always fully understand it. But we receive it anyway. And that's, 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 that's a deep level, you know. These are the nature of the chukim. These are things that are, that are beyond the rational. But, but, but they complete us as well. Um... Okay, more deserves to be said on that, but I, 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 I'm going to just go back into this for a moment. Just because... Just because God built the world in a really interesting way. And if you look on page 10, this is the stone Chomish, and it's the uh, um, verse 4, Pasuk Dalad. So this is the first verse that we have this is the first verse that we have um, it's the first verse that we have after um, after the seven days of creation okay so so what now that God has created the world what's the very very first thing that he's telling us and what you have there is one of the most interesting words in the entire Torah it's the word Behibaram. And you can see it there in, in, in Pesach Dalet, in the fourth verse there. And you'll see that there's a little hay there. That the, that the hay is, is miniature. And the Zohar says that if you rearrange the letters of Behibaram, that it spells the word Be'Abraham. Which is an awesome thing. Meaning to say, before Abraham is even born, here, the Torah is already hinting about the presence of Abraham in this world. And more than that, though, there's something else that's sort of very kind of surprising about that, that verse, which is that verse, if you look later on in that same verse, is the first appearance 
of Hashem's holiest name, the Yud Kei That's the first appearance in the entire Torah. Now you may have thought, you may have wondered, why did God wait so long to, to, to use this name in creation? Like he's already talking about the first seven days of creation before he uses this name, Yud Kei so, so just to tell you, just to tell you what the Chernobyl Rebbe says, and then I just want to kind of add a PS to it. The Chernobyl Rebbe addresses that question, why is the Yudke Vavke only appearing here? And so basically what he's talking about is the whole notion of Simsu. You see, God's light, this represents this name of God, the Yudke Vavke represents the infinite light of God. If God were just to shine that light, there are no vessels that can hold that light. So what God does is He constricts His light. He compresses His light. He condenses His light. And that's through this name Elohim, Elohim, which correlates with nature. God compresses His light. He reveals it through nature. And then, all of a sudden, now that we've got pipes, if you will, now all of a sudden he can reveal this name because now all of a sudden we have the vessels or the transmission apparatus through which it can be revealed. I'll put it in a very mundane way. Imagine someone want, is very, very thirsty and you take a fire hose and you go, oh, I want to help you and you blast the fire hose an inch from their face. They can't drink the water. They just will topple them over. They get no water from that. It's too much. It's too strong. So God creates channels through which this light can be received. Okay. So, so once we have the world, the structure of the world, right, that God makes through this language of nature, through this name Elohim, now all of a sudden we have vessels to receive the ultimate light. But now, here's the reason why I'm bringing it up right now. Do you see how the name of God appears right after, or a couple words after, but basically right after the name of Abraham? See, we have this name, Behibaram, which the Zohar says means Abraham, because it's the letters, to Abraham, with Abraham, and then all of a sudden you've got the first appearance of God's holiest name. Which means that the ultimate channel for us to communicate the holiest aspect, the most infinite aspect of God in this world, is through righteousness. It's through us. It's through the human channel. Incredible thing. Through our actions, God flows through us into the world. That's the last, that's the last stopping point. And then we bring the revelation of the oneness of God into the world. That's why the Yudke Bhakti is coming right after Be Abraham. Okay. So how do you become Abraham? <laughs> right? Now that we see that basically the whole world is created for the sake of Abraham, right? And 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 and, and what he accomplished, what he did. So now we've got to be like Abraham. So so how do you do that? Okay. So Listen to what the, what the opening of the, of the Parsha says. These are God's instructions to Abraham. He says, says, Hashem said to Abraham, because he's not Abraham yet, 
Go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now remember, Abraham is like, he's rich, he's got prestige, kings consult with him, he's got followers, he's like got a really cushy place, right? And God says, okay, get up and go. And Abraham leaves the next morning. Takes everything and he leaves the next morning. Alright, so now, let's do, from this book, from the Torah commentary of Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, let's go and see what the Ishbitzer says, how the Ishbitzer Rebbe explains what these words mean, what these different levels are. Okay, and this is on, uh, if you get the book and you want to see it, this is on, uh, Still find you, sorry. Yeah, okay. This is on page uh, 122. What does it mean when God says, leave your country, your city, and your father's house? This is really heartbreakingly deep. As long as I'm really drowned in habits, I'm just a machine. Even if I have the holiest habits in the world, I'm still a machine. The first thing I have to do is break away from all the habits. Completely break away. This is what leaving my country means. My city is the way I receive life. And this is incredible. This is incredible. I, rece- I receive life from food or the money I make. Everything which is where I receive life from. I have to receive life from a much higher level. If all I need to live is a little bit of bread, that's very sweet. But if this is all that gives you life, then God can't talk to you either. You've got to break away from this. You have to receive light from a much higher level. And I just let me just pause to just just to comment on that. Because because an incredible, incredible essential truth is being revealed here. The question is, what the Ishvitzer is asking is, what is it that gives you life? Not, not for you to say something like, well, God gives me life. He's saying something much deeper than that. Where do you personally derive your life force from? That's what's being asked here. Do you derive your life force from money and food? Or do you derive your life force from something higher than that, from God himself? In other words, what keeps you alive in your personal day-to-day life? And that's the essence of everything. That's the essence of everything. That's the breakthrough that, that's, man, that's, that, that's the breakthrough that everyone has to make. Because you realize, wait a second. It's not from food and it's not from money. It's also from food and from money. But that's, that's kind of a P.S. But how do I stay alive? How do I get out of bed in the morning? How do I energize myself when I'm ready to give up? If I have that relationship with the Creator, where I'm drawing down life from Him Himself, and that's what keeps me going, then I'm Amish alive. Then that's what real life is. 
That's what the Ishvitzer is saying. That's incredible. That's incredible. And then he says, I'm reading again, then it says from your father's house. This is the deepest depth there is. The Ishvitzer says, you've got to be so much in touch with the roots that even if things look alike, you will still know the difference. This is the greatest problem in the world today. The world doesn't know the difference between real and not so much real. Right? And uh, there's more. All right, let me just continue reading. Without saying bad things, I'm listening to people talk about God. They sound good, but your nose tells you something else. You've got to break away from this. This is from your father's house. Even all the things you learned about God, about everything, you've got to break away from it. It has to be real. Let's say, for instance, a poor man walks in, and two people give him a dollar. If you look at them from the outside, they both did the same thing. But if you look very deep, one gave a dollar, and one gave everything there is. Sometimes two people, two different people shake your hand. One person shook your hand, the other person shook your soul. At an action level, both are, are the same. So God says you've got to get away from all this. Meaning you've got to be able to tap into the depths of what's really going on. Now what does it mean when God says, go to the land that I will show you? The Ishmael says that after you broke away from all those habits, after you have a good nose to know who is real and who is not, God says, I will show you secrets which nobody knows. Suddenly you will see the whole world on a different level. So, so that refinement of our intuition is, 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 a, is a many, many year process. And the way that we do that is through the halacha. For instance, I'll give you just one example. It says that eating unkosher food makes the heart insensitive. That it puts up a barrier around the heart. So there's actually, there's actually a wall that we erect between a correct intuition and an incorrect intuition in that way. So, so what I'm trying to tell you is that the halakha itself is a way for us to fine-tune the instrument of our souls. And when we fine-tune the instrument of our souls, we've got a better sense of who's real, who's not real, what's, where I can learn from, where I can't learn from. I remember... Uh, I remember a story from Rav Shlomo. He, he was talking with... There was a guy who was learning with him and got turned on and uh, wanted to start going to yeshiva. And I don't know who recommended this particular Rebbe, but someone recommended this Rebbe and he was riding in a car with him. And uh, the Rebbe said something like really... It wasn't a facility, but a Rebbe in the sense of a, you know, like a yeshiva high school teacher, you know, whatever it was. He said something that just was really insensitive about people or about poor people or about something. I don't know what the comment was exactly. But it was an insensitive comment. And the kid said, stop the car, I'm getting out right now. And Rev Shlomo told that story. He said, I was so proud of him. I was so proud of him. Right now, I don't know personally, if I would have handled it that way, I think I would have waited to you know, I wouldn't want to hurt his feelings, basically. You know, I think I would have gone to wherever it was, and then... 
I got to go and uh, take care of something. And then as I'm walking out, see ya! <laughs> but, you know, anyway, Rabbi Shlomo would talk often about having a good nose. And this is meaning, meaning a good nose is having a good intuition. And by the way, it says by Mashiach, by Mashiach, that he's going to smell you out. Believe it or not, he's going to smell you. And from that, he's going to be able to know everything there is about you. So there's this, this correlation between your nose and your intuition. But what I'm adding to this is that you have to fine-tune your intuition. Because sometimes, sometimes, you can go, oh no, that's wrong, but you're, what are you basing it on? You're basing it on a lifetime of watching Brady Bunch episodes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny or sarcastic, but what I'm trying to say is, is that if our grounding and in our frame, if our frame of reference is completely rooted in secular correlations, then when we trust our intuition, our intuition isn't finely tuned yet. That's what I'm trying to say. So in other words, first we have to learn all the premises of Torah. And once we learn the premises of Torah, then we develop a much sharper intuition. That's all I'm saying. So a person shouldn't... You know, my son had his birthday... Uh, my son had his birthday yesterday. And, uh... Oh, that's really weird. I've got my phone here, I'm trying to record it. And I just said my son had his birthday. He never calls me. He just called me that second. It's ringing right now, you know? So is that a sign that I should continue to say this story or not say this story? <laughs> I'm going to not say this story. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. I think that's him saying, Dad, don't. Don't. I'm really going to do something like... <laughs> I'm going to do something out of body to stop you right now. So I won't tell the story. Okay. Um, anyway. I'm done. Have a good week. <laughs> okay, let me just, um, just add one more thing. You know, it's known that the, that the mitzvahs are divided up, the 613 mitzvahs are divided up. By the way, you should know, since we're talking about numbers, how do we know that there's 613 mitzvahs? So the Gomorrah says, you take the gematria of the word Torah, which is 611, and since, as we said earlier, God said the first two commandments, so that means 613. That's how we got, that's how we have the number 613, is through a gematria. So again, just... Just because there are people who go, ah, gematria, you know, just so you know, gematria is one of the holy languages of transmission, okay? Just, we know there's 613 mitzvahs based on it. So, anyway, that aside. So, so, so every person has, is made out of Torah. We're made out of Torah. Each one of us are like living Torah scrolls. That's why we've got this beautiful holy custom that when a woman is pregnant, when a woman is pregnant, and she's toward the end of her pregnancy, the man opens up the ark, and, and, and the husband of the expecting mother takes out the Torah scroll. 
And that's a sabula, that's a blessing for an easy birth. Because the ark is being opened up and the Torah scroll is being taken out. That's the birthing process. And so, but from there you see that a person is like a Torah scroll. Not only that, but it says that people are foolish. In the Gemara it says this. Why are people foolish? Because when they walk around and when the Torah scroll is taken out, they kiss the Torah scroll. But Talmudic Chachamim, Torah sages who are living Torah scrolls, they don't kiss. Kiss a... Is that, is that the world's worst bumper sticker? Kiss a Torah... <laughs> I'm a Torah sage, kiss me? <laughs> that would, it's, the, it's the rhythm of a bumper sticker and I... I'm glad I've never seen it. But anyway, so, um, anyway, but the point is, the point is that, um, that all of us are composed of 613 parts. There's the 248 parts, which are the bones, and the 365 parts, which are the sinews. Okay, that's all the muscle structure. Okay? I'm sorry, the 248 are the organs. That's the organs, okay? Now, Abraham, the gematria of his name is 248, which correlates with all the organs of the body, and not only that, but all the positive actions, commandments in the Torah itself. So, so from there you see that Abraham is the essence of positive action. And that tells us one last thing, and I just want to end with this, which is that, how did Abraham become Abraham? So, I told you according to the Ishvitzer, but I want to tell you now according to the Medrash. You see, Abraham was walking around from the time that he was a little child. You see, his father, you know, and this just shows us just how God runs the world. So, when Abraham, when Abraham was a little boy, his father, Terah, was, in, was like the, he ran like the, the idol, you know, superstore. You know, that, he was the main idol maker. You know, which is just poetry. Just like, just like, who raises Moshe? Pharaoh. Pharaoh who's trying to destroy the Jewish people and to make sure that the Redeemer doesn't come, ends up raising Moshe. So here you have the maker of idols, and who's his child? Abraham. Incredible. But this is how God runs the world, with all these seeming contradictions. Right? These seeming paradoxes. And then we come into the world and we clarify them. That's our job. So, so one of the greatest stories ever is that Terach, Abraham's father, says to little Abraham, he says, mind the shop, I'll be back later. So what does Abraham do? Abraham, through incredible investigation of reality, by asking himself such questions, like he sees that the sun is ascending, he says, it must be that the sun is God. Because life seems to come from the sun. And then at night, he sees that the moon replaces the sun. So he says, it must be that the moon is God. Right? So he's, he's investigating every aspect of reality. And then he comes to the oneness of God. So now he's arrived at the oneness of God, and he's just a kid. He's like five years old at this point. And... He takes an axe, and while his father's gone, he smashes all of the idols, except for the biggest one. And he takes the axe, and he puts it in the hands of the biggest idol. 
And his father comes, and this is how he makes his livelihood, right? So, his father is like, what happened? And he said, Dad, you won't believe it. The idols got into this big fight. And the big idol smashed all the other idols. And his father goes, come on. He says, you know that they can't move, they can't walk, they can't think, they can't do anything. And so then Abraham says, so then why do you pray to them? It's like, whoa. <laughs> right? That's, you know, as we would say, check and make, you know? That's, that's, that's the end of that one. So, so yeah. So Abraham arrives at the oneness of God, and the Medrash says that he used to walk around saying that he saw this world like a tower that was on fire. And he couldn't understand it. He said, this world, just like the tower has an owner, if the tower is on fire, the owner would come and save the tower. This world also has an owner. So where is the master of the world? And why is he allowing all this falsehood to exist? The world is on fire with falsehood. How can it be that God is allowing it to take place? So he used to walk around saying, God, please reveal yourself. Reveal yourself for your sake. Reveal yourself for your sake. How can it be that all this ignorance is plaguing the world? God, reveal yourself. You do it for your honor. That's, that's how Abraham became Abraham. Because Abraham understood there's a master of the world, so master of the world, reveal yourself. It's not, it's not that God said, you know, there's a holy person. I see Abraham does a lot of mitzvahs. He feeds poor people. He does stuff even when he's tired. You know what, I'm going to reveal myself to him. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. So you talk about Avram being the Gematria 248, which correlates with the 248 positive commandments of the Torah. He was the essence of proaction, proactivity. He was running out there saying, God, reveal yourself. And then God said, okay, so I'm going to reveal myself to you. And now I just got to throw in something, all right? There's this great show that I just started listening to. It's called Radio Lab. It's on public radio. And in fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, the new Genius Grants, the McCarthy, MacArthur Genius Grants, just awarded the producers of the show one of their Genius Grants. So it's like a, it's a very cool show. I just listened to like one, but it blew me away. So anyway, it goes like this, and we'll end with this. But it's a cool story. They were doing um, some, uh, some scientific work in Central Asia. Okay? And this team was taking blood samples from all these countries in Central Asia. And, and they wanted to see, like, population movement and all sorts of things like that. But more specifically, what they were looking for was the Y chromosome. Now, the Y chromosome is really interesting because, basically, whatever the father has in terms of his Y chromosome, the son has in terms of his Y chromosome. It's a father-to-son thing that just goes all the way back. Okay? So you can really get a very interesting viewpoint of, like, populations and all sorts of things, lineage, all sorts of things from the Y chromosome. Okay. 
Now, if there's a smudged Y chromosome, meaning to say, if there's a distinct Y chromosome, that also gets passed up. Okay? And the example that they gave on the radio show was that if you make a Xerox copy, but there's a smudge on it, the smudge gets passed down. So that's how you can see if there's a unique variant of it. So they went to countries like Mongolia and Pakistan and China and all these places, Tibet, all these places, and taking blood samples. And they had like 2,000 blood samples. And this Italian uh, woman researcher starts, you know, starts, you know, analyzing them. And she sees that there's this weird Y chromosome all in all these different things. And it doesn't make any sense. Why should there be in China, the same thing as there is in Pakistan. Like, they're completely different populations. So she thinks that a mistake has been made. And they analyze the, 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 the samples, and they realize a mistake hasn't been made. All these people have the same grandfather, which is really weird. Because it doesn't, that's unique. It doesn't correlate with the way these things work. Then they did an investigation of how far back it must have gone. And they calculate that, that the daddy, if you will, was about a thousand years ago. So then this woman starts taking pins and a map and correlating the boundaries of where this, this dad, you know, his descendants are. And she realizes it's the exact territory that Genghis Khan conquered during, during the time of Genghis Khan. And Genghis Khan was known that when you conquered a village, his soldiers brought all the women to Genghis Khan for relations. So they said that if someone lived about a thousand years ago, and this I thought was a very striking number, because I would never have guessed this number, you could expect to have 800 descendants. You personally about a thousand years later, would have about 800 descendants. He had about a million descendants. Okay? So I was thinking about this, and I thought to myself, you know something? Abraham has about 16 million descendants. And you know how many more people that would be today if we hadn't been slaughtered and massacred through the years? closer to a billion people. And if you look about what the Arabs are, because Abraham is also the father of Yishmael, who's the father of the Arabs. They're about a billion people. You know, so look at Abraham's genetic imprint on the world. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So, so, and I'll tell you one other thing, which is just far out. It says, and I heard this in the name of the Zohar. You know, Abraham and, and, and Sarah couldn't have children for many, 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 many years. So it says that when they were together intimately, do you think that they didn't have children? Do you think it's just that they didn't that their that their relationship was not productive? They were making souls of future converts. That's an incredible thing. In other words, there was something came out of their marriage union, but it wasn't on the physical level until Yitzchak, until Isaac was born. 
but something very real was being transacted with their togetherness. And that was the souls of future converts were being made. So, so incredible stuff. Um, and that for real will stop here. <laughs> okay.